Welcome to Casting Light, the entertainment lighting podcast. We're talking about lighting, people that do it, and how they do what they do. We're on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. We tweet at Podcasting Light, and you can find us on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Marin. With me, once again, is my co-host, Carrie Wood. Hello, hello. Carrie, welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad Uh, to be back. Can you remind all the folks out there where they can find you online? They can find me at carriewoodld.com. Okay. And this time around, our guest is Anne McMills. Welcome, Anne. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Now, uh, you've written a little book called The Assistant Lighting Designer's Toolkit. I have. <laughs> and it's been getting a lot of press and a lot of attention. Yes, I feel like the uh, response has been pretty good. I feel feel lucky. Like I feel like there was um, a need, at least I felt, that there was in the business. And I feel like other people have agreed with me on that point <laughs> All right. and seem to like it because it's got some, you know, some answers for them. And uh, in addition to that, you're an assistant lighting designer, associate lighting designer, lighting designer in your own right for mm-hmm. theater, for architecture, for theme parks. Yep. <laughs> Runs the gamut, pretty much. And right. I'm also a professor. I'm the head of lighting design at San Diego State University. Okay. So I've been teaching the last few years, too. Okay, awesome. Now, what, how, can you tell me, how do you and Carrie know each other? Oh, gosh, we go way back. We do. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what year that was, and I, I can't... 97, 8, something oh, like gosh. that. Oh, uh, gosh. Well, I know we really got to know each other during Wicked L.A. Mm-hmm. And that was, ooh, was 2005? Six? Six? Five? Yeah, something like that. Somewhere around there. <laughs> yeah, so it's been a while. <laughs> that was a great time. <laughs> yeah, it was. that was my first time to L.A., believe it or not, and that's where I live now. <laughs> And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and guess that Karen Spawn was the associate lighting designer. That's, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Brought cookies every uh, every other day. It was wonderful. Man, can she cook. <laughs> yeah, she can. <laughs> yeah, it was fabulous being around her, too, yeah. just like watching her work. And, you know, Absolutely. she's one of the one of the greats. So it was she's really, a pro. Yeah. So that's a, that's a fair place to start, I think. What did you bring to the video side of things uh, from lighting and what, what did they need you to do? Well, it was really interesting because I feel like back then, way back then, you know, whenever that was, 2000, I think I met Elaine McCarthy in 2002, believe it or not, when I was assisting Ken Billington. Um, and we became friends or knew each other, whatever happens on a show. And, and then I did another show with her where she was also, oh, it was Good Vibrations of all things, where she was the projections designer and I was one of the assistant lighting designers with Brian McDevitt. And then she approached me at some point and said, you know what? I've just got these, you know, I just did this little show. It's about these witches. <laughs> <laughs> so she had Wicked and she had Spamalot hit at the same time. And uh, she was... a combo right there. Right? <laughs> and uh, she was going to take it, you know, who knew where the legs were going to take it. It was going to go all over the world. And, and at that time, I feel like there wasn't the sort of plethora of projections design people out there at the time you know so now I feel like there's a lot of projections design assistants and uh, designers in their own right and people going to school for it and all that stuff but I feel like it was still pretty sparse then so she came to me as a lighting designer and said you know I see that you know how to tour these other shows all over the place how about you come work for me and I thought well 
you know, it's just one big light, right? I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) I say that flipped because there's so much to learn about. So So I did my best and she walked me through what I could. Um, You know, all the, I also like wrote myself lists of how to think about projections as a lighting designer. You know, if it's this type of lens, think of it like a 19 degree, you know, that kind of thing. And so I sort of figured out how to translate it into my world. And then I, I took it, um, all over the place with her. We did, we did a tour. We did some retrofits. We did London, Japan, Australia, Germany, you know, that kind of thing. And basically my role was just how to make it happen, you know, how to take it on the road. So I just created a paperwork system because I'd never done projections. I hadn't, she didn't really have one. So I created, created sort of a focus charts thing and I created, um, cue list and you know various other things that I found that was needed for that and um, sort of still in a lighting designer vein but it worked for all of us and so took it all over the world and was really fascinating for me because I didn't know that much about projections I feel like I absorbed as much as I could to the point that you know I became the associate later and took it to countries by myself without her um, because it wasn't it wasn't like I was creating content I was making the content look good you know that was so. my question how much did you learn about content creation and editing content um, while you were doing that mostly experienced it through the eyes of others right because you know? yeah. we had art um, Gareth and Ari who are part of um, Shadow Play Productions who are out here in LA they were her art people and so we would deal with them over internet most of the time like oh you know we need the switch by tomorrow and um, I would and Sean Boyle came along with me too who's another lighting designer is now uh, ironically getting his MFA from Yale for projections design. I just ran into him last summer actually at oh, Yale. He's so lovely. He, was he such is. A- so he was with me most of the time and he and I would do like the masks where we'd project the projector on stage and we'd draw the outline in Photoshop and then I would send that over to the content creation people and they would take what we had existing and make it um, fit the theater. But there was, when I first got on board, when we were in London, um, we did the new opening. Like there used to be this big witch's hat that sort of spun around and got sucked into the stage. And uh, Joe Mantello, the director, decided he wanted something else. So, excuse me, we did like this, we called it the Firefly Witch, like sort of these dots that sort of melded into a witch character. And it's what you see now in the show. And so then I got to see content creation from scratch where I, we, uh, we brought Adina up and set up a little sort of shadow, I, I can't remember, I think it was a piece of muslin <laughs> with a light behind it, you know, so we had her shadow and we recorded her shadow and then took that to the art people and they did all their things in flash or whatever they were using. And so being around, it was really interesting. I didn't learn how to do it myself. Um, cause of course, you know, that's a whole, a whole other topic, but it was really interesting to watch it happen. That's really cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, so, and Fred Bach was the one that actually connected you and I. Mm. How do you know him? Fred and I worked together when he was part of New York City Lights, which, how did I get there? Um, I think I was, I was assisting on Broadway already, and I was working with Jim Milkey, who also worked for New York City Lights, and Mick Smith, who also worked for New York City Lights. And so they brought me over as an assistant type to just sort of do paperwork and drafting. Um, you know, I think I went out and did some shows with them, a couple pilots and studio shows and things like that. And so I know him from back then. Um, and it, again, that's another one, like, 
this is another reason I wrote this book, which I'm sure we'll talk to talk about at some point, is everything I've learned, I've learned by trial by fire. You know, <laughs> it was just like, well, I got this job. These people trust me. Here we go. You know, I didn't know a thing about television in the same way I didn't know a thing about projections. And so I was just very lucky that people trusted me and, and thought I could pull it together. So I, I jumped into TV, which is something I had never studied and never done. And thankfully, I have good friends that helped me through it and helped me learn the conventions of that industry. Um, and Fred was one of the designers there. So mostly I worked with Bruce Ferry when I was there. There were three main designers. Um, but I did... I think I did a show or two with Fred or at least worked with him in the office. And so recently, now that I've moved out to L.A., they've come out to do a couple of shows. And uh, Fred is now on uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And so they came out and did this five-day stint in L.A. Um, Yes, we just talked about on the previous episode. (laughs) Oh, great. It was really fun. Yeah. Five days of filming, which, of course, was three weeks of three or four weeks of work for them. Um, but yeah, he came back out here and I'm really fortunate that being in LA, I sort of am a good local assistant to go to, you know, when people are looking for a local, they're like, Oh, she has experience, you know, or they know me from New York or something like that. So he called me up as a local assistant, which ironically in LA, like (laughs) I'm not as local as it seems. LA is so spread out, you know, I'm, I'm down in Long Beach, and they were up in uh, Universal City, and so or whatever it's called up there. And so they actually ended up getting me a hotel because it's <laughs> it's got to be two hours or more in traffic just because it's crossing LA. So it's funny. I was like the local non-local assistant. <laughs> it's interesting you bring up being like the go-to assistant uh, in LA. I and it, it makes me think of a question I have for you about making the transition from New York to LA and how how that has been and what motivated you to do that? Was it just a job? Was it lifestyle? Yeah. It's challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I felt like, I felt like I was just ready to move on from New York. You know, I'd, I'd been there several years. I did grad school in New Jersey too. So I felt like I'd been there, um, a while. And as we all know, like you love it and you hate it, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's things I miss and there's things I don't miss. And oh, no, I exclusively love it. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of people that do, you know, I don't know. I, I wasn't from there. So I just felt like I had sort of done my time there and was ready to move on. And yeah, I just, I thought, you know what, why not sunny Southern California? (laughs) But the leaving was hard. I mean, people were disappointed that I was leaving. People were upset that I was leaving, specifically people I was working for, um, you know, couldn't understand why I was leaving, stuff like that. And Um, yeah, so I just did my best and came out here. I, I was sort of on the road anyways with Wicked and Spamalot at that time. So I actually, I still own a place in the Bronx, believe it or not. Wow. That's great. I have had since 2005. So technically I'm still a resident. Um, but yeah, I just, I was sort of on the road with Wicked and came out here for LA and loved it and thought, you know what, why not LA? And, and I had always wanted to teach. That was the reason I got my MFA in the first place. So I thought maybe it's time for a change. And, um, at first I came out and was doing some architecture work just because I also had that background in New York and, and thought, well, that's an easy kind of transition because there's some Broadway people out here that are doing architecture or used to be Broadway people doing architecture. So I kind of contacted them and said, Hey, here's my background. Um, do you need anything part-time? And so I did some architecture. I also did some, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like running an office of a lighting designer, you know, with his daughter who runs his office, like payroll and insurance and 
thrilling stuff like that and just like whatever I could do to get my feet in the door out here because all of my contacts still today most of my contacts are in New York <laughs> right <laughs> and it's sort of a different world out here so um yeah but I just sort of did odd jobs around town and then eventually went towards teaching so really lucked out cool so you graduated from Milliken with a BFA in 99 mm-hmm. you graduated with an MFA from Mason Gross in 2002 mm-hmm. and you were working on retreat from Moscow on Broadway with McDevitt in 03 and that has to have worked out because you were back with him for Fiddler on the Roof in 2004, which is one of my favorite revivals from uh, the aughts. Mm-hmm. How'd you do that? <laughs> God, I'm so lucky. I, uh, I was in grad school, yeah, at, at Rutgers, which is Mason Gross, and uh, studying under Mitch Dana. And I don't know if you guys know Mitch, but he's like an absolute legend. He's amazing. And he knows everybody. You know, He's been, what is he, the vice president of USA for a million years and just... He's just really social and knows, you know, his design work is incredible. He used to do Broadway. Like, he's just amazing. So he knows everybody. Um, and during grad school, one of his big exercises was to take us to techs. And we would sit behind people in tech. And so we would meet everybody, you know. It, it felt like it at the time, at least. And um, he was close with Billington. And uh, I don't know. So I feel like I saw a lot of Billington stuff and Philip Rosenberg and, you know, all sorts of people. And so I, my big dream was to do the Gil Hemsley internship. And so from grad school, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to apply for the Gil Hemsley. So I did. And I made it to the top five. And I had a really amazing interview. And I felt like I knew everybody in the room. And, um, you know, it was like Jeff Harris and Ken Billington. I think John McKernan was there, like Stan Pressner, like Mark Stanley. Like, it was just amazing. And I felt like I killed it. <laughs> and then I left. And um, like a week or two later, they called me. Jeff Harris called me because I'd worked for him. So he knew me personally. And he, and he said that they felt that I was overqualified. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I cried for a week, I think. Like, <laughs> I was in my car. I had to pull over. Like, I was crying so hard because I just really, really wanted that. And I thought that was my future, you know. And so I went back to Mitch and I said, you know, I don't know what to do. Like, this was my dream. I, they said I was overqualified. I still want it, but they won't give it to me, you know. And what am I going to do? And he said, well, have you called absolutely everybody on your resume? And I said, well, I'll check again, you know, and so I like went back down my resume and the very little bottom was when I was an intern at uh, Santa Fe Opera, I worked with Ben Piercy. And so I wrote Ben Piercy. I was like, oh, I guess I didn't write him. So I wrote Ben Piercy and not only, it was like a week later or something, I got a call from him and he wanted me to come interview at Ken Billington's office, which I was like, oh my gosh, I, I had no idea he was even at Billington's. And of course he'd been at Billington's for years. I just hadn't done my research and um, went and interviewed with him and got the job. They were looking for somebody that could ironically do architecture. That was my first architectural thing. Again, trial by fire. I'd never done it before ever. <laughs> so I was there for um, almost two years on or off doing this SeaWorld renovation in Florida. But meanwhile, I was also doing shows with him. Like I was, you know, sort of the office assistant watering plants and um, answering phones and ordering pencils and stuff like that, you know, but I'd also like put together binders and I go visit him at theater. And he took me on uh, Chicago, which is where I got my union card and various other shows. And I forget what, I think I was on a river dance when McDevitt called and I had 
I had been courting designers, I call it, like where I send resumes like every six months, like, hi, remember me? Hey, remember me? Can I do anything for you? And so I think I courted Brian for, I don't know, two or three times, maybe. I can't remember how many times. And so he finally called me and said, you know, such and such can't do this Broadway show. How about, you know, would you be interested? And so that was my first Broadway show. It was just, you know, I was thrilled. I about fell off my chair. I was so excited. <laughs> Especially to work with McDevitt, who has got to be one of the nicest guys in the field, you know. So I just feel like I was really lucky with those two people as mentors. Because then I worked for Brian for a couple of years. Okay. Yeah. Um, so for, from the, from those uh, programs, the BFA and the MFA programs, mm -hmm. what were the most useful things you got? And what are the things that you wish you had gotten there? Well, Milliken is like an incredibly fabulous school that nobody's ever heard of because it's teeny tiny and it's in the middle of the Midwest. Um, but it's just, it's one of the top schools in the Midwest. So I feel like one of the best things I got out of it was that there wasn't a grad program to begin with. So I got to design absolutely everything. Um, and I was one of the few lighting designers there in my year. So I got to, you know, design everything that came up and all the student shows and all the everything, even the big, um, you know, they had a roadhouse that was i can't remember how many seats i want to say four thousand but that's probably too big it's probably two thousand but it felt huge you know and i got the honor of like being the first student in a long time that had designed there and stuff like that so i think what was really good about Milliken was that sort of experience just do it 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 you know and um my second year a fantastic professor called named nelson ruger came in and he was my mentor there and he was sort of um from new york from uh, the sort of the Broadway circuit. He knew Mitch Dana, which is how I eventually got into grad school at Rutgers because of that recommendation. And he really opened my eyes to design concepts and, um, you know, refined what I was doing and taught me, you know, if you're sort of like let loose in the theater, you sort of do it however you think it might work. And Nelson came in and sort of taught me, oh, this is how it should be done, you know, in the sense of like, oh, you should patch your things and not just channel it by dimmer, you know, stuff you just don't know if you're sort right. of left yeah. alone. So that was like my big experience there. And then I went to work with Mitch at Rutgers and he was just, you know, 100% professional and like I said, knew everybody. So he was big into knowing how to, he, he would say uh, it was the school of getting it on, which meant it was not just a, you know, a sort of high art school. It was a school of like, yes, you're going to do great design, but I also need you to know how it works and how, you know, to answer questions if people can't figure out how it works and make it functional, you know, which was really what I wanted. I'd, I'd interviewed at other schools um, that were sort of higher art, um, is, you know, how I could refer to them. And, and I just... I didn't want that. I wanted something that really taught me how to how to have the answers and how to, I don't know, present them effectively if I needed to. So that's something I really carry into my own teaching, too. I think I, I really want the students to be able to go out and get the job, you know, not just be fabulous lighting designers, but go out and get a job at the same time, hence all the assisting stuff. But yeah, Mitch really gave me that experience of as he should in grad school like this is what it's like to be a professional this is what you do this is how you do taxes and contracts and resumes and portfolios and all that stuff on top of now let's look at really distinct um, lighting problems and how do you deal with that and what should you be doing and you know how you pull apart a script that's a big thing of Mitch's is really pulling it apart and 
looking at all the concepts and you know, he was just so great. So I think I, I, th- I think of all the things in my career, I owe it all to my, my mentors. Like I have several of them and just my training has been so good and it was so hard <laughs> and I welcome every moment of that, you know, and I just feel so lucky. I only hope I can transfer some of that on as a professor now, you know. I think it's interesting how it sounds like your education started um, just like your career started, like just being thrown into the fire. And that's probably how you excelled so well. (laughs) (laughs) You're used to it. (laughs) It's funny because I don't think of myself as a person that's good at trial by fire, but I happen to have an entire career of trial by fire. (laughs) (laughs) So I must pull it off somehow, but I feel like I'm always sort of nervous and like, oh, here we go, you know, and like, just make it happen. Like, <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, it, so- it sounds like the uh, training you got helped immensely, and it sounds like it was really great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so speaking of the assistant and associate stuff, you've really made a name for yourself doing both. Mm. I know they're distinct jobs, but there's also a little bit of line blurring there. Can you tell us about that? Between assistant and associate, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, there is a lot of blurring. And, you know, you guys know it just as well as I do. Like it's, you know, it depends on the job, what you're doing. (laughs) And the designer. (laughs) And the designer. Yeah. And it's changing through the generations, too. Now that designers are coming up that know Vectorworks and stuff, like it's sort of altering the assistant associate relationship, depending on the designer. Um, But yeah, in... uh, in my book, the Assistant Lighting Designers Toolkit, that's like page one, I think. <laughs> it's like, what is the difference between assistant and associate? Because that's something I never knew in school. Um, and I was telling, who was I telling? Somebody today that that's the first line in the book is this is the book I wish I had when I was in school. Because <laughs> it is, you know, <laughs> I really wish I'd had this book. Um, but the, the one main difference I always say between assistant and associate is that the associate can stand in place of the designer. So if the designer walks out the door, the associate can continue to cue the show and can make artistic decisions with the director. That's the one thing that I think is different because an assistant, you know, if the assistant, um, if the director comes up to the assistant and says, oh, I love the scene, but really it should be green and blue and purple. And, you know, the assistant can say, great, I'll take a note and I'll get it to the designer. But if it's the associate, the associate says, great, let's do that. You know, they can kind of go and do it without the designer present. So that's the big difference. Um, but it really does, like Carrie was saying, like matters who you work for and what your structure is within the little bubble of your lighting team. Because if a Broadway show has, you know, let's say it's a big one where you've got three assistants, sometimes four in the older days, but... Um, you know, so you have sort of the associate who's the right hand of the designer and then the first assistant that is the main paperwork person and then the second assistant that's follow spots. And maybe there's a third that's moving lights or something. But that can be mixed around. So the first assistant can be follow spots and the second assistant can be paperwork. And, you know, there might not be an associate and all that. Yeah, I go back to um, Chicago And how picky the director was on follow spots. And so the first assistant always did follow spots on on Chicago because they were literally in the line of fire of the director. So it really mattered that the more senior person took care of that. Um, But it's kind of up to whoever the lead assistant is, whether that's the associate or the first assistant, who does what. And, um, you know, if they hate doing moving light focus charts, then the second assistant does the moving light focus. <laughs> you know, it's like whatever the team does. 
Yeah, but I kind of like that. I kind of like um, just working with different teams and going with the flow and, um, you know, whatever they want me to do. I love follow spots, you know, but some people are really picky and um, sometimes that can be a really stressful job. Other times I love running the paperwork and just being the person that just writes down the focus charts. And other times I love being that person that's everything to the designer, you know, and just really being their right-hand person and being there for them. And I sort of love that caretaker role as well of the associate, um, you know, making sure they have everything they need, whether that's coffee or gummy bears or magic sheets or whatever they want, you know. Whiskey. <laughs> Whiskey, yeah. Yeah, depending yeah. on the show. <laughs> Saki, <laughs> I've done. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I I really felt like, you know, I went to school to be a designer and I'm still a designer. Um, but I really felt an affinity towards that, you know, that caregiver role. I just really liked that part. And maybe some assistants and associate types would not say it's a caregiver role. It's absolutely business. And that's true. It depends on who the designer is. You know, some designers treat you like you're their spouse and some designers treat you like, um, like your social, social security number or something, you know, like it just, right. A hired yeah, hand. Like it just yeah. depends who you're working for. So, uh, I tended to gravitate towards the designers that wanted me to be in their life and be a big part of their life. And, um, and I enjoyed that role. I mean, even to the fact, like I was telling the story at USITT last week or two weeks ago about, I was, when Elaine McCarthy had her baby, like I was half a caregiver, it felt like part of the time. I remember um, sitting at the tech table with the baby Bjorn on and the baby, like teching the show, you know, that kind of thing. So it's like, you know, it's, sometimes it's fun to go above and beyond and be appreciated for that. Um, and now, as, now that I'm in LA and I get hired as the local, like I'm usually not the main associate or anything, but I sort of like that role too. I sort of come in, they can trust me, I can do whatever they need, I get it done. Um, I don't know, it's, I guess it's, I appreciate being appreciated. I don't know, it's a, a weird thing. <laughs> I'm curious, when you came out of school, were you really searching out to be an assistant? Or was it always in the back of your head, I'm a designer, I'm a, you know, I'm a designer, mm -hmm. that kind of thing? I went to school for design and I remember my first year Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't remember exactly when, but I remember a distinct moment where I thought, you know what? I think I like being an assistant best because I was watching, I think it was Mitch and we were doing some show and I was watching the producers breathe down his neck, you know, and you know, that pressure you just feel from the producers. If you get like a set of producers that don't quite understand and are sort of insecure and, you know, worrying about their money and, and that can get really stressful and I thought, I don't, I don't know if that's my favorite part of lighting design, you know? So I kind of, I'd always wanted to be big system. Like I always wanted to be Broadway, but I thought maybe I'm, I'm well suited for this assistant role. And, and then maybe it's less stress with that producer thing. And, um, and I really love the, the, the guys, you know, I said, of course there's women too, but the crew guys, I love the crew, you know, I love stage hands. I love dealing with them. I love working out problems with them, being partners with them, like that sort of relationship really works for me. And I'm, I feel like I'm less good at the political sort of director, producer, general manager, like that kind of end where you're, you're sort of like, I don't know, I feel like you're curtailing yourself a little bit and you're watching your politics a little more. 
And with the crew guys, you're just like hanging out and solving problems and getting the show on, you know? So I don't know. For me, that spoke to me personally more. All right. Uh, you know, so I know you mentioned that part of the reason you wrote the book was you wished you had that book when you were in school. Now, who is the book for? <laughs> it's for myself when I was in school. No, I was kidding. <laughs> No, but it's got a broad audience. It's for the students, you know, that are in school that need to get jobs when they get out of school. And assisting, I really think assisting is one of the main ways you do that now. You know, I feel like you can go design at a bunch of little theaters and then maybe you get your big break. But I feel like anymore, if you don't know how to run focus charts and follow spots and all that stuff, you're not going to there's a possibility you're sort of um, truncating your career, you know, because you might get these assistant things and then those lead to a co-design and a design later or something like that. Um, so firstly, it's for the students, I think. So that, because especially now as a professor, I understand how difficult it is to squeeze all this stuff in. So it's hard enough to teach design. It's like now I also have to teach assisting, <laughs> which is almost like its own profession anymore. That's what I keep saying. Like it's, it's almost grown into something that should not be called assistant anymore. Like it's almost its own career. Yeah. Like as a professor, it's hard to fit that in. And I'm trying in my own curriculum at San Diego state, I'm trying to figure out places to fit these skills in, but I can at least say like, here, read this book, you know? (laughs) So I'd, I'd start with the students and then I'd say there's plenty of early professionals that are out there that don't know how to assist or um, haven't had the experiences of that or learned it in school. And there's, um, then there's, I think, existing assistants that are curious how other people are doing it. You know, I really enjoyed that about writing the book. It's like, you know, I call up Vivian Leone, like, can I have some of your paperwork? And, and she'll, you know, shared it. She shared it with me for the book. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. She's such a goddess. Like, how do you, you know, how does she do it? And, you know, so it really enlightened me, too, on different ways people organize things. So I think it's got a broad audience in that sense. And for designers to be able to hand this off, like somebody like Billington, you know, he can he has all these new assistants that come in and he can just be like, read this book. You know, that's the starter. <laughs> Because it's very Billington oriented, and um, that's only because my training was there. Like I, you know, and that's one thing I don't want this book to be is like this is Anne McMills's way of doing things. You know, it's like it's not. It's that's why I included uh, all these other uh, examples from different people because I want to show what the profession is doing. So I learned from Billington, and then I went to McDevitt's, and I worked with various other people, Kazarowski and um, Binkley, and people like that. And so I've sort of boiled it down into what I think is probably the most, um, I don't know, norm, I guess, that I've run into. So at least it's a starter for people to be like, some people do it this way. Most people do it that way, you know. Uh, I I did notice that it it is, uh, that the Broadway sort of setup is sort of what the book is based on. Yes. And I wonder how applicable that is to other parts of the business and what parts it is most applicable to. Mm, That was really difficult. Originally, the book was called, like the very first draft, the book was called The Broadway Assistant Lighting Designer's Handbook. And the publishers said, you know, we really want to broaden this, you know, so it's more universal. Because there's an average of 41 new shows a year, which is, you know, at maximum, if they each have two two assistants, 82 jobs. Yeah. And that was the challenging part. Like, how do I write this book that talks about this structure, but also covers other realms? Um 
So there are qualifiers a lot in the book where I say, based on a large-scale production like Broadway, this is how it might be. Um, but then there's that section where I go into, you know, in a roadhouse, the assistant might be like this. In an opera house, the assistant might be like this. In the regional house, this might be like this. But I thought if I based it on the Broadway way, perhaps that would open up eyes for somebody in a regional if this was some sort of construct that fit in their system, you know, like, oh, they do it that way. What if we tried it this way or, you know, and not that I'm like, anybody should change, but I thought at least it's sort of sharing to the masses and you can pick or choose what you want to use or not. Yeah. I feel like often in a regional, it's just compressing those three or four people into one, you know, so it's. Yes. <laughs> well, that was actually my next question, yeah. but. As you move through the theatrical continuum from Broadway to lore to tours, how does assisting change? It does change. Like I love what Carrie said. It's like you take the four people and you combine it into one. <laughs> and sometimes your designer takes on more responsibilities because you are just one person. Um, but yeah, regional, I've done more Broadway than regional stuff, but I find that it's probably one assistant, sometimes two with the local if you're, you know, if they're splurging or it's a big show or something like that. I don't know, you guys might tell me differently. Um, and then... Normally just one. Just one, yeah. <laughs> and maybe an intern from a local college or something like that. Oh, there like you go. That. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then touring, like, we don't really tour as assistants, but we will, like, with the Broadway shows, you do the check, you know, you go in and you check on the first three cities. But if you're doing something like, um, I've never toured dance, but I'm told the assistant or sometimes the designer goes with that show and sort of... Um, does that thing or rock and roll sometimes. So that's what's, I think that was one of the hardest things about this book was to sort of, I don't know, I had to kind of throw the dart and hit what I could and hope that, you know, either people would write me and say, you should include this in the next one if there's another one or like, oh, this sort of makes sense for what I'm working on. And um, yeah, that was really difficult because it's easy if you just pinpoint Broadway, but... <laughs> Once they said to open up the audience, I said, well, you just added another half, you know, a third of pages to this book because then I have to cover all the other stuff, which was really fun. But, um, you know, because then I got to go into all the international stuff and uh, all those little dictionaries are like one of my favorite things in there for some reason. And, um, you know, but it, it does add a whole other chunk when you're trying to cover all bases. I feel like... Um this is definitely dumbing it down and reducing it, but it's ultimately about organization and clarity mm -hmm. um, and then explaining that. So I could see how it would relate to other divisions of our business. Yeah. And I've had people come to me and say they've read it as a stage manager. You know, it's like they don't read the paperwork part, but they read the whole first third that's all about personality and all that stuff. So I think there is some, some universality to it. You know, also maybe assistant set and things. It's like the specifics of the paperwork might not fit in, but all that personality stuff does. And, and hopefully they can take that, like you said, like it's really about being organized and just somehow make it happen in wherever they're working. What, uh, <laughs> what is a good show to sort of look at uh, close up? Maybe Mamma Mia in Las Vegas that you did? Mamma Mia would be an interesting one in Vegas. Yeah, that one's interesting because Ed McCarthy is the associate, the longtime associate for, um, for Howard Harrison, who designed it originally. And Howard hasn't been with the show in a really long time. Um, Ed's actually been on, I mean, he's amazing. Like he's had, I forget what they call it, maintenance or something. Like he gets a, a little weekly fee to watch over that show in all countries and all 
cities and he goes and checks on it. And he really just, he loves that show um, because it's been really good to him. And uh, so he called me in again, sort of as a local assistant, because pretty much Vegas, San Diego and L.A. are the same city. I'm pretty, pretty convinced. <laughs> they called me in as a local assistant. Um, and he was, of course, the associate, but also acting as the designer. And then um, there was me. And then there were a few other people that sort of came in and out, depending on what we needed. It was so great because Ed is really uh, self-sufficient, which was actually kind of hard for me and other assistant types might agree with me that it's like well can I do that but I can't but I, you know and they're like done <laughs> and it makes you feel like you're not contributing yes, yeah. you know and yeah. I just wanted to be a big help because I adore Ed you know and um but he's just he's just so fabulous he's so good I mean he's been one of the top associates for a long time and now he's got his own design career and um so it was just, it's a, it's a different exercise too, as an assistant to learn when to let go and learn when your designer just wants to do it um, and to let that happen. So there was a lot of that. So I mostly took care of follow spots in that show, which follow spots are really fun, <laughs> except that when you're doing Mamma Mia, which has been done, you know, how many times and for how long all over the world, everyone else on the team knew the show except for me and the follow spots. <laughs> So something would come up and it would be like, oh, the spots do this. You know, it was like some little effect thing. And I'm like, wait, when? What? You know, I had a video. I kept watching the video and me and the spots didn't know the show. And everybody else was like, but it does this, you know, and I'm like, it's our first time. Hang on, we'll get it. You know. (laughs) (laughs) And it was at the Tropicana, which is a traditional burlesque house. I, I don't know what you call it, but. Originally, the follow spots were at like 10 degrees to the stage, you know, like really like spot on cabaret kind of style. So Ed moved those up into the catwalks, which was new for the guys there. So that was a challenge for them to kind of fit in the catwalks of the spots. It was a good time. And and so that was unusual uh, in that you were sort of doing less than you might ordinarily do on a show of that size. Yes. Yeah. And that was... um, that's hard for me to do because I want to do more. What's a show where you were way more heavily involved and you, and a lot more was required of you? Oddly enough, I would say Fiddler on the Roof with Brian McDevitt because I love that show. Like you were saying, 2004, Four. I think. Um, yeah, it was, God, it was a gorgeous show. And I was the moving light tracker on that show. So I was like the third assistant or whatever that was, um, which we don't really get the producers to pay for moving like trackers anymore especially now that all this fabulous software has come out um but we were trying to forge a new way actually i remember writing job descriptions of like reasons why we needed the moving light tracker and all this stuff and they thought that show had legs and i think it should have um but so i was the moving light tracker and there was no software for that or anything and so i was drawing all of the moving light focus charts as i sort of created some focus charts um one that's in my book actually so I did like a ground plan view, an elevation view, and some notes. Oh, a photo and some notes and things like that. And I was hired on the whole time. So I was sitting with, with um, David Arch, and I just kept drawing every single focus we did. <laughs> and so I think I've, I don't know, I feel like I was there 8 a.m. to midnight every day, like regardless of what was going on. Because I was trying to keep up as we were going, even though, of course, 50% of those focuses died later on. Um, but I just kept thinking I, I need to somehow keep up with this, you know. So I just kept drawing them. And then I'd come in in the morning and I'd draft them all and we'd tech it and I'd draw the other ones. Because I sort of kept sketching them down. But 
I remember thinking, man, this is like the hardest I've ever worked. It felt like on some show. I just couldn't keep up. So um, I did, you know, I made it happen, but it was, you know, hundreds of focuses that I was trying to draft and take photos of and do all that sort of stuff. <laughs> oh man, see, see kids, this is, this is why you might want to investigate grid focus. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you start out with a hundred focuses, but they're all on a grid, you don't have to track any of them. Right. And you are also a designer on top of everything else. You, <laughs> you've been designing stuff from the time you left college until now. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you work with assistants? You know, it depends on their level. Um, I like to get my students involved in assisting. So a lot of times they're newer and don't um, quite know what they're supposed to be doing, <laughs> which, you know, I guess we were all there at some point. So it's, you know, it's just part of life and how you progress. And, and so I try to push myself to use them as much as I can as actual assistants, um, you know, because it's so easy to be like, you're in charge of the cue list and the work notes, you know, <laughs> Here's a couple of Excel things because that's easy, you know, but um, now that I have this grad program, I'm looking forward to whatever the next thing is that I can bring them out on because I can be like, all right, you're doing this and this and this and this and try to really teach them to be assistants when they get out there. Um, but yeah, I think it just depends. Like I'm still, I'm actually really disorganized when I'm a designer. <laughs> Ironically, like I think I'm a good assistant. I'm organized when I'm an assistant, but as a designer, I feel like I'm all over the map, you know, because you've got a different hat on. You're nodding, Carrie. Are you that way too? Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> I feel like I hear that a lot. It's very common. <laughs> I'm a mess. Yeah, yeah, I'm a mess too. And I'm like, you know, I've got post-it notes all over the place for myself. And um, I still write in the script of my cue notes instead of like, you know, I know several designer friends that keep their own cue list on the computer the whole time. Um, so <laughs> I just I just hope they can read my scribbles and make sense and keep up. And because um, for me, the the cue list really matters, at least when I've been the assistant for designers, they often turn to me and say, when did we last block the scene? You know, that kind of thing. You and mean if, like the synopsis. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The cue synopsis. Um, you know, if I can turn to an assistant and say, when did I last block the scene? That'd be so great if they have that written down versus me, like flipping back through my script to find where I had last blocked the scene. Um, so I really try to push them on that. And, uh, work notes are so vital. Um, I mean, as we all know, right, work notes are what drives the whole production. So they need to learn work notes well right away because otherwise you're, you're kind of screwing the whole process. You know, they come in, they're disorganized, they don't know what to go to, we're jumping electrics and all that stuff. And um, So although I, I laugh about like, oh, you just do the cue list and the work notes, like those are some of the most important things to me. <laughs> yeah, and I think often young assistants assume, oh, it's just work notes, you know, right. really take it for granted. But it is an organizational nightmare if you're not together. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's the quickest way to show somebody you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> if you show in, and you're, if you come in and your work notes are a mess, like you lose their trust very quickly, you know, if they're running all over the place and you don't have what you want and all that stuff. So that's a great way to say that. I think young assistants take that for granted and it's so important. I'd rather have that together than the focus charts to begin with, because who knows if your show is going to tour, or what's going to happen with it. Yeah, that stuff is, I mean, it's important, but you don't need it right this second. Yeah, exactly. The stuff that you do need right this second is always going to take precedence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like updated magic sheets, you know, if I'm yeah. like, what's that channel, you know? 
<laughs> um, and in addition to all this other stuff, you also work in architectural lighting design. Well, you mentioned that earlier that you start when you went out to California at first, you're working with Vortex. But now you're you, you're with connected with E squared, right? Yes. Yeah. When I came out here, well, when I was in New York, I did KB Associates, which was the architectural branch of Ken Bellington's office. Um, I also worked for Lenny Schwendinger briefly and a couple other people out there. And then I came out here and was with Ann Militello for almost a year at Vortex Lighting. And then I was at Lighting Design Alliance for almost a year. And now I'm at E Squared Lighting and I've been there since, oh God, it's been like five or six years, I think. Um, so I still like, you know, I'll teach half the week and then I'm at her place part of the week. And yeah, that's a really fabulous thing. I'm also their theatrical consultant because they all come from an engineering background. Um, so I'll, I'll do just normal, you know, AutoCAD or whatever they need that day, fixture specs, whatever. But then I'll also do things like, oh, this temple wants, you know, some source fours in their auditorium, that kind of thing. And so I'll, um, consult on that and usually what i consult on usually gets cut because it's too expensive <laughs> but it's it, so true yeah it's you know it's my job so i enjoy it uh when i was at ann's i did the custom hotel which was really interesting it's like made by the same people that did the signature you know in la that's got like uh i haven't been there actually but there's like when you check in at the hotel, there's somebody naked behind glass. like Oh, yes. <laughs> like super themey, Hollywoody kind of thing. So this is the Custom Hotel, and um, it's near LAX. And it's pretty cool, actually. It's all very themed, and Anne went all out. Um, so there's, like, padded cell rooms. They're all, like, white and padded cells. And, and there's, like, the hell bathrooms that are all, like, red up lights and black everything. And there was funky fixtures we chose. Like, I remember there was this one funky fixture that was, like, a bird cage with a light in the middle and all this stuff. On the outside of the hotel, there's these big pendants that we ended up gelling red. So we had to go back there and, like, re-gel them a couple times because they kept burning out and stuff like that. <laughs> But that was a good time, and um, that was one I almost got to see from start to finish, um, which is always a great exercise in architectural lighting if you can be there. I wasn't at, there at the beginning concept phase, but sort of at the beginning, you know, so you can see it all the way from concept into construction. So if you can walk around during construction, we were there like once a week, I think, when it was going up. You learn a lot about how things are installed and what the purpose of things are, why you moved it. You know, that's another like trial by fire. I didn't know a damn thing about architecture when I first got it. So I feel like every day I learn something new in architecture because that's, I mean, talk about a dense subject to learn. It's just ridiculously dense, you know, and, and all the people I work with have been trained in it. So they really know a lot. And so I find that I'm always growing there, which is which is pretty great. But E Squared is wonderful. It's Aaron Erdman and Landon Roberts. They run this little office. Like it's so idyllic. It's like you know California sunshine. Like we work out of the back of her house and we do all these fabulous Oscar-winning rich people's houses, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Along with um, a bunch of like commercial projects and things. It's just really great work. Are there certain um, manufacturers that you work with regularly? You know, like we have our regulars in the theatrical world. Do you deal with the salespeople for that? Or do you interact with them? Lunch? Yeah, a lot, actually. In architecture, they have this lovely thing called lunch and learns, <laughs> which mm. means that people come in, they show their product and they bring you lunch you know so it's really fantastic um and they're always bringing us samples and we have our reps stop by all the time um 
but I feel like the manufacturers change all the time, like favorites, and mm-hmm. specifically because we're in this LED world now. Right. Um, that wasn't true back when we were in halogen world. Um, but literally, when I was at when I was at LDA, which was 2008, I think it was. That was the time I feel that LEDs changed almost every day. Like it really seemed like every day someone came in for lunch and learn, and every day it was like they're brighter now. Now we can do this better, Amber. Now we can, you know, it was like every day they're longer life, whatever it was. And so it was really an amazing time to be in the business and watch it just grow, literally grow, you know, as we went along and. Um, but still, we weren't doing all LED anything at that time until I would say almost last year or the year before. You know, a lot of the laws have changed for energy efficiency, and a lot of um, fixture manufacturers have started to catch up for the first time. Like for a while, it was like, well, yeah, that's a great law, but we can't make that happen with the fixtures we have. You know, we can't mm-hmm. like achieve the brightness you need for safety laws and also achieve the wattage restrictions we need for California energy laws. And, you know, there's like all these things, but finally, like they've come together, the fixture manufacturers and the laws for the most part, I think. So now we're finally doing all LED everything. And so, or almost always. So I feel like now it's, it's kind of, you know, one week I'll walk in and they're like, Oh, this week we love this manufacturer. Right. And next week, it's like, well, we saw that on site, and now we like this one better, and that kind of thing. So it changes all the time, which is kind of different than theater, because in architectural lighting, there's vast numbers of manufacturers, you know, and there's a bunch of crap out there, and there's a bunch of good stuff out there. Where in theater, it's like, I mean, yes, you go to USITT, and there's a huge floor, but really, we have our biggies, right? We've got, like, ETC, and we've got Martin, and we've got Verilite, and we've got, you know, it's like we have these ones that we use. The go-to, for- right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that happens all the time with me, with them, as a theater consultant, because they'll say, oh, you know, they want something cheaper than the Source 4 LED, and I'm like, well, that's the only one I'm going to endorse. You know what I mean? Like, they're, I don't know, I just feel like, in theater, there's these trusted people that make good stuff, and that's who I want to go with, and that's I know their product. And um, whereas architecture is just much more all over the map. Does your architecture work open your eyes though to other lighting fixtures? Do you have a does it bring a different outlook um, looking for new yeah uh, things that you haven't worked with? Does it influence you? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, like if I'm doing a theater design, I can. You know, if it's a great set that could use some uplighting in it or something, like I know from the architectural lighting world, like, oh, we could use these, but they need to be this way and spec that way. And, you know, um, these look really great. And so I feel like it informs my theatrical work because I've got some architectural lighting training behind me. Mm-hmm. And in the same vein, when I'm doing architectural lighting and, and they bring me these, you know, three other things that are supposed to be cheaper than the source for LED, it's like, Well, it's sort of interesting to challenge myself. Like, why do I feel that way about this fixture versus these other fixtures? And so, like, they sent me one today, and um, they were like, have you ever heard of this fixture? You know, would this be a good VE option, is what they say. VE stands for value engineering, which means Mm -hmm. cheaper. So is this a good VE option, you know? And I, I always try to go at it with an open mind. Like, okay, well, let's check it out. Maybe it's just something I haven't heard of, you know, and and I'll check it out. And like the one for today, for example, said it was um, 125 foot candles at 15 feet. 
And then I looked at the source four and I was like, all right, that's 606 foot candles at 15 feet. So I was like, well, this is a clear reason why I prefer our, you know, theatrical fixture because it's brighter, you know, and perhaps more dependable and all that stuff. And, but I find that's a good exercise for me to challenge myself because in theater, it's like you have your go-to manufacturers and um, to try to question that is a good exercise, I think. As an individual, and as a lighting designer. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, the architectural manufacturers offer so much information. You know, more information than a lot of the entertainment yes. shops do, and yet it seems in some cases that people aren't reading it. It's funny because because it's so much bigger, the world is so much bigger in architectural lighting. I feel like there isn't the same trust that we have in theatrical lighting. It's like. You know, if ETC says to me they're making such and such fixture, like, I trust it. You know, I'm like, great, sold, like, let's spec it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And maybe that's my fault. I don't know, my fault. Um, But in architecture, it's like, all right, bring it in. I need to see it. Like, because you just aren't as close with everybody because there's just too many. You can't, you know? Even though, like, we have USITT and LDI, they have Light Fair and whatever else, Lumen West, I think it's called. Um, But... Uh, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a different feel for me, and I don't know if that's just because it's not my main world, or what. But but I do appreciate in my career that I've been able to work in all of these different industries because I feel like it does inform me as a theatrical lighting designer. You know, I feel like that's my favorite. Like I love theater more than any, but I love that I get to see TV film, and I love that I get to see architectural lighting, and I get to do all of these things, and. Um, and that's kind of why I include it in the book, too, because not only is it really interesting and makes you a better designer, but it's a good way to make money in between gigs and stuff like that. And um, so, again, I put a chapter in the book with those things because I never learned any of it in school. I just, you know, trial by fire for all of it. And, and I think it's just a really valuable experience to be able to go out and do that kind of thing. All right, Anne. So we've heard so much about your career as an assistant and a designer and teaching I'm just curious, separately, what it's like to write a book, especially yeah. more of a, uh, you know, a textbook. Yeah, a book about the thing you do. Exactly. Yeah, it's really an interesting process. I mean, I really had not a lot of framework for it, except that my mother is a writer, but she's a fiction writer. She writes these uh, Mountain Girl book series. Um, she's self-published, but I had seen her go through the publishing process and she's been writing for years. So I've seen her go through proposals and things like that. Um, but for nonfiction, I had no, no, uh, clue really, (laughs) but I just felt like this was a book that needed to be out there. And like I said, it was the book I wish I had when I was in school. So I just felt like if I needed it, surely other people need it. And I see my students needing it. And so I just wanted it out there. Um, so I, I forget, it was a couple summers ago, one of my gigs that I usually did in the summer fell through and I thought, why not now? Let's start, you know. So I just sat down and wrote the first draft because in nonfiction, you can actually do the proposal um, without actually writing the book. You can do it that way. Right. Which scares me because I'm a control freak and I want to know exactly what's in there. <laughs> and I wanted to know I could do it, you know, like I was, I was just on a whim, like, what if I did this thing? Um, so I sort of did it in secret and swore people to secrecy that knew about it. <laughs> but I just wrote the first draft in like two months. That was probably the easiest part um, because that was just, you know, sit down and write about your life for two months. And um, the only problem was organizing it because it's like, well, how do you talk about who the production electrician is 
if you don't and if you don't talk about like what Loden is first, because what they are is some of the stuff they do in Loden, but you have to explain Loden. You know, it's like very circular. So I struggled with that a lot. How do I formulate this book together? Um, but then I I went through getting test readers. Like I had three students and a faculty member and swore them all to secrecy and had them read it just because I was nervous that it wasn't going to be any good. Um, they liked it and had lots to say and lots of comments. And um, so then I went and found Steve Shelley at, I think it was USITT. And I said, can I please buy you a drink and ask you how this happens? How do you write a book? You know, and I'd also done the same with Jim Moody at one of the master classes. Um, and they both said, you know, you've got to write this proposal. Da, da, da. And um, by that time I'd, I'd bought a lot of books on how to write books <laughs> So I had read about how you do proposals and things. Oh, that's a good business there. That's a, that's a selling picks to the miners business. <laughs> book on how to write books? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very useful. I also have many books on how to market books. Um, so I'd done my research, and Steve Shelley said, hey, I'll introduce you to Focal Press. So, you know, talk about generos- generosity of spirit. Like, you know, Steve Shelley's just the best. So he introduced me to his editor, and she said, great, you know, send me send me a proposal. And so she had a form, and... And it's very specific about, you know, how many images is it and how many chapters is it and all this stuff. So I was really glad I had written the first draft all together. Um, And then they take that proposal and they send it out to peer reviewers. Um, They pick them blindly. I don't know who they are. It's like five people. Some of them are international. Some of them are local. Some of them are educational. You know, they sort of span the gamut. Um, And then I get the responses back from those people. And based on those responses, the editor asks for revisions. So that's when they asked for things like, let's make it not be called the Broadway Assistant Lighting Designer's Handbook. Let's spread it out a little more, you know, stuff like that. And, um, and then I went from there and continued. They, you know, signed the contract and we went and worked out a schedule. Um, and then I started revising it, which is really hard. Like, I felt like one paragraph would take me all day because I just, you know, is it right? Is it good? Is it right? Am I doing it right? Do people understand what I'm talking about? You know, um, and then the hardest part, and this was something I never expected, was that you, the author, needs to get all of the permissions for all of the images. So then it was this process of like, well, I need to contact all these people and get permissions for all these images. And it's like, you know, I don't know how many I have, like 200, 300, something like that. So it's you sounds get... like you needed an assistant to do I that did. for you. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I didn't have money to get one, but I needed one. you know, because that was incredibly hard. And people like, um, you know, some people it's like, oh, you know, Vivian Leon, will you give me stuff? And she sends me stuff and her little email of like, you can use this is like enough. But people like Disney, I mean, they are very specific. And I had a three-page contract I had to sign with them. And I asked for four images, and I ended up getting two, which I thought was a great thing. Um, and it took them eight months to get me the images back so and approval of the contract. So that was really eye-opening to me about how much work that was and um, how challenging that part was. <laughs> but well worth it, you know. And I also did all this part with, um, I sent out a bunch of, surveys to designers and asked for their paperwork and asked them that's where all the quotes came from and you know little mini interviews and stuff and um so a tremendous amount of work I think more than I anticipated at the beginning but I really enjoyed it while I was doing it even though the like permissions part was pretty stressful um yeah and then eventually when you get done with your schedule with them you send them sort of like chapter by chapter and they're sending it to their proofreader um and eventually 
they send you back like a PDF, which I printed out in full color. It was like $300 to print it out because I was like, I have to see it in book form, you know. And then I went through and made more corrections and you send it back to them. And then eventually it eventually publishes. So the first time I saw it was in March. They had um, 15 copies that were advanced copies sent to USITT last year. And it was the first time I'd ever seen it. I walked in and was like, oh, my gosh, there it is. And, um, but those were the only 15 because then it wasn't published really until June 2nd. So it's been really exciting. It's been out since June. And this was my first signing at this USITT two weeks ago. Um, and I just, it was so fulfilling to talk to the people that read it, especially the students that were saying, you know, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed. You have all these answers that I really wanted. And, you know, so that was really fulfilling is just sort of meeting the people and meeting the readers. And, and I encouraged everybody, like if there's stuff I'm not covering, like email me or things that I are wrong, let me know, you know, stuff like that. There's always a second edition. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe someday, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, it was a long process, but a very fulfilling one. So I'm excited that it's out and so happy that people like it or seem to like it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're winding down here. Um, uh, why don't you t- let everybody know where they can find the book? Well, you can go to my website. It's aldtoolkit.com. You can also find it on Amazon. The title of the book is The Assistant Lighting Designer's Toolkit. So you can find it on Amazon or Focal Press's website. Um, yeah, and check out ALD Toolkit because I've got like a blog there. And um, you can also follow me on Facebook or Twitter. I try to put up interesting things that friends have posted, you know, lighting-wise and in the world. Uh, yeah, I, I love when people like my page because I love to share all that stuff. <laughs> okay. And I'm also on annmcmillslighting.com for my personal design work. Oh, excellent. Great. <laughs> okay. Carrie, any any final thoughts? No, thanks, Anne. Thank uh, congratulations you. on the book. It's Thank really you. remarkable. Thank you. I'm glad you guys like it. I appreciate that. Thank you. This has been really lovely. I'm so happy to be a part of your podcast. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Anne. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. It was great to have you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Casting Light Podcast. Thanks to our guest, Anne McMills. Check out her book, The Assistant Lighting Designer's Toolkit, at aldtoolkit.com. You can also visit her personal webpage at annmcmillslighting.com. Thank you to my co-host, Carrie Wood. You can visit her on the web at carriewoodld.com. This has been the Casting Light Podcast, a production of Casting Light Incorporated. You can visit us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at podcastinglight, and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Marin. Thanks for downloading, thanks for listening, and have a good show.